2022 NFL Draft fast approaching. Let's talk edge rushers, wide receivers. How quickly are edge prospects getting to quarterbacks? Plus, NFL Moneyball. What's the next step and where can teams find that advantage in the draft? Coming up right now. You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson at BD Peacock at Williamson NFL on Twitter. Get those Twitter questions in for next week. We might have a little time as we lead up to the draft for some final questions. We got a final mock draft for me coming next week. Uh, we've got, uh, I mean, it's 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 nearly draft week. So let's finish the yeah. week before the draft and nerd out a little bit, Matt. And we're going to go to PFF today. And they've got some really interesting t- statistics that I think is telling for some prospects at, at two big positions that will dominate the first round, wide receivers and edge rushers. And those stats are how many seconds post-snap does it take edge rushers to create their pressure from prospects in this class? And then the percentages of routes run from different receivers. Because so many receivers, you read their scouting reports, and it's like, oh, this guy only ran three routes. And it's like, well... College only runs three routes. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So well, we're going to get like Corey it. Coleman. I think ran two routes. Yeah, three yeah, routes. yeah. He didn't Seriously, even get to th- you know, the right. third route, and he didn't even yeah. block on running plays. Remember, he would just stand <laughs> right. there at the line of scrimmage when they had a running play to conserve his energy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a weird one. Like so yeah, um, those those I think are some really interesting data points for this draft. Before we get into draft week, and we and we can't go as deep into some of these types of things, and then um, and maybe uh, a question from a listener last week that I think is really interesting about the idea of Moneyball and where you're spending your high draft picks. So I like a, a lot to cover today, I think, that is going to be fun. And I want to start with the edge rushers because there's going to be an edge rusher most likely going number one. There might be an edge rusher uh, at number two and maybe what? Six, ten edge rushers maybe, going in the first three. round. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the top 50, there's going to be a dozen defensive ends that get drafted so yeah. th- there's there's tape on these guys and then there's athletic testing numbers but I love this stat and I've got to shout out Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus that put this out there and this is the kind of thing I love PFF for that keeps track of how many seconds does it take you to get a sack to get to the quarterback essentially to, yeah, to create like pressure so this is pressures bucketed by seconds post snap and I think it is pretty darn telling so it's these are the four buckets that the edge rushers from this draft class are put into 1.6 to 2 seconds which is lightning fast most quarterbacks aren't getting rid of the ball those are insta sacks those are you're unblocked or you just run directly around the offensive tackle he doesn't get a hand on you right uh the next group of uh, pressures is between 2.1 and 2.5 seconds which is also really fast to get to the quarterback then 2.6 to 3 seconds, which is a little bit slower, might be a little longer pass rush. The quarterback holds on to it a little bit longer. And then 3.1 to 3.5 seconds, and those are more second effort sacks, maybe coverage sacks, and some of those types of things where you're not really beating the man in front of you right away. Uh, it takes some time. Maybe you come back with a second move, and maybe the quarterback steps up in the pocket and you get a sack there. So second effort sacks really in the fourth category, but the first two categories are the ones where – most quarterbacks are trying to get the ball out within 2.5 seconds, and if you can get to the quarterback in 2.5 seconds, you are really cooking as an edge rusher. So that's what you want. 
And to me, there's a couple of outliers here. Let's start with the bad before we get to the good. And this stat worries me for Jermaine Johnson. And Jermaine Johnson's a really good run defender, and he had a lot of sack production, and he's got a lot of the height, weight, speed stuff. But he essentially never had the Insta less than two seconds sacks. Zero percent. It's the lowest on this list. And in, I'll read off the names. It's the top edge rushers in this class. Boye Mafe, Arnold Ebiketti, Josh Pascal, Drake Jackson, Nick Benito, Aiden Hutchinson, Cameron Thomas, Kingsley Enigbare, George Karloftis, Kayvon Thibodeau, DeMarvin Leal, Trevon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, and David Ojabo. So those are the players on this list. And the only player that had 0% in the two seconds or less category was Jermaine Johnson. And he had the lowest percentage of sacks between 2.1 and 2.5 seconds as well, with only 16%. So you add up the first two buckets here with everything under 2.5 seconds, and Jermaine Johnson got to the quarterback less often in two and a half seconds or less, only 16% of his pass rushes. Yeah, and a couple things is, first of all, I think you can look at that a couple ways. And as you were doing that, actually, I wanted to do this first, is to kind of highlight that. I I was doing a search while you were setting that up so well about what are the average times to throw in the NFL? You know, so a, a couple of the really fast ones Roethlisberger's under 2.4. Well, because he couldn't protect himself and he was bad. And, you know, Brady's next at 2.5 because he's such a quick processor. So the fastest guys in the league are getting the ball out at two and a half seconds. The slowest guys in the league are a little over three. Like Zach Wilson's right at three. Winston was a little over three. And Jalen Hurts was at 3.12. You know, uh, Lamar's close too. A lot of those guys are the athletes that yes. buy time behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, Russell so, Wilson is one of those guys that, that's usually a little right. bit over because he buys time, finds somebody. Justin Fields was a little slow as a rookie as well. Um, and like, you know, traditionally, uh, Jimmy G's really quick with his release. Uh, Drew Brees is always a guy 2.5 or less. And so, right. yeah, 2.5 is really sort of the marker. If you're a really great pass rusher, you want to try to get home in two and a half seconds because most good quarterbacks are going to have the ball out by then. Yeah, I, I love this chart that Austin Gale put together and that you prefaced. But in the NFL, even the worst tackles aren't going to get beat in one and a half seconds. You know what I mean? Like, right. they're at least going to get in the way. You know, like that first column, I'm not sure applies to the next level. Those are those are unblocked. Those are, you just got a free un- run at the quarterback, right. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the league, you're not going to allow these guys unblocked pressures, you know? So... Uh, and then you think, look at the other extreme, like you mentioned with Johnson, that it, it, he gets a high percentage of his sacks late in the down, which I think is worrisome. But I think if you looked at every sack, there's a couple positives to take from it, though, too, is hustle sacks matter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, late in the down, not giving up hustle sacks do translate to the league, you know, coverage sacks, if you want to call them that. So some guys are better than that than others. And it also shows he probably has counter moves. Like, I'm sure a lot, if you study all these guys in depth, in depth, pass rushers coming out of college often win with one move. Like Vic Beasley, I remember, was a, he was a snap jumper that won with speed. But if that didn't work, he was in trouble. You know, so I think that if you're getting sacks late in the down, it shows you probably have a counter move, a pass rush plan. 
and a high motor. But high motor, high motor is, is right, one of the, exactly. the keys. So it's not bad that you're getting second effort sacks, but you want to see kind of in both categories. You want to see second effort sacks yeah. with the high motor. You have multiple pass rush moves. You're, you're, you keep coming after the quarterback, but you want to see that, a, uh, that you can beat a man quickly as well. Yeah, and, and what I was going to say to finish that, though, is I still think this last column is too long. You know, the ball's out. I mean, that's great that you have all these counter moves and you're hustling, but unless Pat Mahomes is running around behind the line of scrimmage for seven seconds buying time, or Lamar Jackson, or one of these guys that's just, you know, the by three seconds, the route combinations and the way the play is designed is already shot. And either the ball's out or it's garbage time, who the heck knows. So I, to your original point, I 100% agree with you. I do not want a high percentage over three seconds. You know I mean? Because that's great that you're hustling, but the ball's out. And that's, again, bad for Jermaine Johnson, who had the highest percentage in the 3.1 yeah, to 3.5 right. second range. 42% of his pressures come in that bucket, and 42% of his pressures came um, in 2.6 to 3 seconds. So um, we're talking about 84% of Jermaine Johnson's pressures were after 2.5 seconds. Yeah, and I guess I shouldn't just totally ignore the first column either because I guess at the college level, it's the first time I'm processing all this. There is some, <laughs> there is some value in. Wow, he whipped that dude. That's going to be an accountant in under two seconds and got home already. I mean, there's a burst and a quickness and a getting off the line of scrimmage there that certainly shows itself with with such a a stat, you know. But it, you mentioned Johnson, the guys that are right behind him. Well, I guess there's a pretty big gap, but the Marvin Leal and Trayvon Walker. Mm-hmm. are the next worst. In and terms I, I of would say Scheme and Jermaine Johnson and Trayvon Walker, while they got fewer really quick sacks, although Trayvon Walker had more of the two-second and, and quicker sacks. He, had, he did have some insta yeah, sack yeah, where yeah. he beat somebody right away, and he has a little bit fewer in the, in the, the final bucket, 3.1 to 3.5, compared to Jermaine Johnson. They're both good run blockers. So there is some scheme, and there is some, we're asking you to play the run on the way to the quarterback in some of this too, versus some guys like... I, I love the the Vic Beasley comp, and that is the comp for Nick Benito. And Nick Benito has one of the highest two seconds or less sack rates here, right? He okay. just yeah, beats you that. around the corner. And if he doesn't beat you Fast around the corner, he has switchy. one of the lowest uh, second effort sack rates here. Okay, that's interesting. The number that ju- There's two numbers that really jump out at me. Is the one you mentioned about Johnson getting a high percentage of his sacks late in the down. And Hutchinson... Mm-hmm in that 2.1 to 2.5 second neighborhood, he's at 47%. That's the best. There's two other good ones, but he's the best. And to me, that means at least a capable blocker at least got a hand on the guy. You know, I mean, like it's going to happen at the NFL, you know, probably against Ohio State and Michigan State, against some future pros, you know, that they at least blocked him and he beat him with their first move soundly but at least they were not a turnstile. They at least got in the way and provided some resistance. Okay, and I'm glad you brought that up because when you look at this list, Aiden Hutchinson immediately stands out and has a profile that you really like, and he has a lot of things you really like, and it's the reason he might be the number one or number two pick in the NFL draft. There's another player that's quickly becoming one of my draft crushes in this class that stands out as well. We'll get to that next. We'll talk wide receivers. What kind of routes are they running in the college level? What can we learn from that? coming up next weather's getting warmer sun's coming out 
Do you need some new shades this summer that don't have a ridiculous price point? Shady Rays are for you. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed, durable frames, premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. Not only broken, but lost sunglasses as well are covered. Protection for every pair of Shady Rays. They will send you a brand new pair. If you lose them, no matter what happened, give them a try. And if you don't love them, you will pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, I love this. 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head over to ShadyRays.com right now. Get yourself some fantastic sunglasses and use promo code Locked on to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code locked on for their best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all betting, stats, information, and wagering needs. And now odds for... Debo Samuel's next team, if he is traded this offseason, the Colts somehow lead that list, which doesn't really add up. They don't have a first-round pick, but a few other teams that have a ton of draft picks do make sense. If the 49ers were listening to offers, the Chiefs, the Jets, the Saints, the Packers, and Eagles are the next most likely, according to betonline.net. Not only can you bet on football and Super Bowl futures and NFL draft props, but NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, and eSports as well. So get over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action at BetOnline, where the game starts. Thanks for making Peacock and Williamson your first listen. Don't forget to check in with all of the NFL draft coverage here on the network. There is the ultimate mock draft that we are finishing up. It's been so fun. There is live draft coverage starting next Thursday night through all three days of the draft on the Locked On NFL Draft channel, Locked On NFL channel as well. I will be making appearances there, pre-draft, post-draft coverage, your team podcasts as well. So uh, tons of stuff to check out here as it pertains to the NFL draft. So much fun and all covered for you on the Locked On Podcast Network. Matt, uh, you you nailed it with the Aiden Hutchinson thing. I'm glad you brought him up. 50% of his pressures came in 2.5 seconds or less, and 47% of those was between 2.1 and 2.5. So this guy had a blocker in front of him. the most important column to me. And he beat that blocker, right. I, I I want the highest percentage in this 2.1 to 2.5 second category because that takes out the insta unblocked sacks and it takes out the coverage sacks so that's where Aiden Hutchinson shines technique burst uh, bend to get around the edge everything Aiden Hutchinson has it draft him number one yeah I see what you're saying yeah I mean I think that's a a real feather in his cap that he's a very accomplished get off First move worked a high percentage of the time. Probably studied his opponent a great deal. But I'm not going to steal your thunder. I know there's t- another guy here, and actually two in this column, that are really interesting too. Yes, the guy who is quickly becoming one of my favorite draft prospects, and I think he's going to be a steal where you're able to get him in round two, is Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State. And he is second to Hutchinson here in this category with 40... 
4% of his sacks coming between 2.1 and 2.5 seconds. He's got some really quick athletic, you know, I, I beat you instantly sacks with 11%, and he has uh, 31% of his sacks between 2.6 and 3 seconds. So basically 75% of his sacks come in 3 seconds or less, and I love that, and it's pretty much second only to Aiden Hutchinson in this class. And he's got technique. He's got burst. He's only what? I think he was a little over 6'2", 250 pounds. So mm-hmm. I think he got lost a little bit. He ended up running 4.65 in his pro day, which is a really good time. But so many prospects blazed in this class. So he's not quite a height, weight, speed monster, although he's really good. He had a 38-inch vertical, 34 and an eighth-inch arms, which is key. So he's got long arms. He's got technique. He's got burst. He can beat you with a, a, a lot of different ways. But you're getting a guy that I think can be a, a, just a monster edge rusher in this class. You're going to be able to get him maybe in the second round just because there's so many edge rushers. Yeah, and the guy right after him is Boye Mafe too. He's at 41%. So Hutchinson's at 47 Epiketti's at 44 Mafe's at 41 And actually, the fourth one is David Ajabo. So two things I want to throw out there. I mean, I'm not trying to take us down a different path. But... I wonder, I I bet right now a lot of these teams, Kansas City, for example, end of the first round, do I want Eberketti or Mafe or do I want Ajabo? Like, I think those are the people Ajabo's fighting for a spot against. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the first tier guys, but Karloftis maybe, but Eberketti, Mafe, that are all could come in and play and at least be a designated pass rusher from you from day one while Ajabo heals. Like, I think those are the guys Ajabo's really fighting with. Um, do you agree with that? First of all, I have one other point too. Yes, absolutely. You know what's That's interesting with Ojabo, by the way? Ojabo had the the lowest percentage of sacks between 3.1 and 3.5 seconds. So I saw that. Yeah. That tells me that either Hutchinson already got there by the time he got there with his second effort <laughs> right. sacks, right? Or like there was just no sacks left to get. I, I feel like that's kind of part of it with, with this because he had the biggest percentage of sacks between 2.6 and three seconds and he can get there quickly as well. So that that's an interesting one. And, and with teammates, it, you can just really see the picture of man, it sucked to be a quarterback playing against Michigan. Well, no doubt, but that leads me to my next point is the bet. The, the, the this column that I like the most, this 2.1 to 2.5, the best guys, as, as we said, were in order. Hutchinson, Ebiketti, Mafe, Ajabo. And I love stats. I uh, love Thibodeau. analytics. Thibodeau was, all... Thibodeau was four, Ajabo five. Okay, okay. Well, where I was going with this is Thibodeau kind of screwed me up a little bit. But the top three and number five, they're all big 10 guys. Like, I don't know if there's anything to that. But mm. just in general, when I read stats, I want to see if there's any common themes and I don't know the Big Ten well enough, and I don't watch every snap of college football. Is there some reason, because they're playing a lot of common opponents, is my point. Is there some reason why Big Ten people would be better in this column than Big 12 people or SEC people? I, I don't know. I'm Probably not is probably the answer, but is there three teams that have just a super quick passing game? That's the way you could get to them. Or hmm, do they, maybe, they play football different in the North. You know yeah, what I mean? I don't know. A, a little more... And I don't know if it's necessarily this way because everybody plays spread now in college. Is it, is it a little right, bit right. more slower-paced offense, less spread, less screen passes, a little more pro-style, so quarterbacks are going to be in the pocket a little longer? I don't know. I, I it, Somebody much smarter than me from a college per- perspective might be like, yeah, I could see why Big Ten would be the best in that column. I don't know that answer, but I, I love the term context matters when you look at stats. Like, 
Is there any themes here that might be leaning it one way or another? I don't know that there is. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. But it, it stood out to me that they were all Big Ten guys. That is very interesting. That's why I like talking ball with you, Matt. Yeah, I would have never come up with in here and all see the, what comes to mind. All the things that come into my mind with this, that that was not one of them, and that's a that's a great point. So uh, anyway, I look at this list, and it's like, look, another box checked for Aiden Hutchinson if he needed to do that, uh, and you can kind of find where ooh, a little worrisome about Jermaine Johnson and it's yeah, sort of the yeah. outliers in this, right? A little worried about Jermaine Johnson. Um, I, I like what I see from Thibodeau here. Um, a mm-hmm. little worried about Trevon Walker, but it's kind of like matches the tape with him, right? That's kind of exactly what I would spe- expect from Trevon Walker's percentages here. And uh, love what I'm seeing here from Arnold Ebiketti. I, you know, kind of a Shaq Barrett-style yeah. edge rusher. I think he could be a steal in this class, and I think he ends up going behind uh, Mafe because Mafe had the senior bowl, and Mafe had, you know, the the really great combine workouts and then probably goes behind, you know, Karloftis because Karloftis is going to fit the, the, the size mold for more teams than, than Arnold, Arnold Ebiketti will. And, um, you know, Drake Jackson's got a little bit more bend. And so maybe a team likes Drake Jackson because they, they, they're daring to dream and what he could be with a little bit more length and, and more athleticism and more bend than Arnold Ebiketti, even though he doesn't play the run as well, doesn't have as great of technique aside from just trying to win the edge. You know, Nick Benito is a similar category there as Drake Jackson. So, um, yeah, it, it, this is really fun, and I just thought it was it an is. interesting uh, statistic. So shout-out to PFF. Th- these, are the, these are the reasons why PFF is great. Their grades and their number grades are fine, but, man, th- this, is, this is the kind of stuff I like. Yeah, me too. I mean, this is hardcore. This is no one's opinion. You know, this is just boom. I mean, I'm sitting there with a stopwatch, to, you know, doing every sack. I think there's a lot of value here. And then – that's what I like about analytics, though. Like, okay, I have this knowledge that I didn't wouldn't have had 10 years ago. I'm going to go back on the tape, and I'm going to go watch all Johnson's sacks. Why? You know, why are 42% of his sacks coming after three seconds? Is it the way they played? Is he just getting hustle sacks? I mean, uh, you know, all those things. Or, you know, I, Benito or uh, Engelbare, they're up at 14 or 15% under two seconds. Are they just on a stunt that nobody picks up or a running back blows a, a, a protection or mm-hmm. why are they getting such a high percentage that are clean? I want to move on to wide receivers and then maybe we can answer a question if we have time here about the money ball approach to the draft and drafting positions that cost a lot of money early and often. And is that the approach smart NFL teams should take in the draft uh, the first point though and again shout out to austin gale of pro football focus for charting this stuff and putting it out there on twitter at pff underscore austin gale by the way career target percentages by route for some of these college wide receivers we're going to get a little bit deeper into it next but i just want to point out the first thing is that you'll you'll hear a lot of scouting reports for wide receivers and it's like well he only runs three routes and yeah. the more I look at college football and the way I just mentioned earlier about, you know, every team's running spreads now, every 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 receiver runs three routes because that's all they run in college, basically. It's go routes, it's hitches, and it's and screens, and, you know, maybe you get a quick out or something like that. Like, that is all that's happening. That is 75% of routes in college football right now. Yeah, I mean, especially like when uh, the Corey Coleman conversation we had, like those old Baylor teams that come out in four wide and to save energy, like you said, they don't even run a route half the time, and they only run a few routes, and then they go test grade at the combine. It's like, oh, he's going to be awesome. Well, the NFL doesn't work that way. I mean, the NFL's done a great job of adapting college principles to the league, much more so than 
10 years ago. I mean, the coaches are smartening up and they're coming from the college ranks, but you're right. I mean, so on these ones, I think the pass rush numbers are more telling, to be honest with you. And I think we agree on that. Yes. I would be really interested to see where they win too. Like uh, who runs in breaking routes, you know, like who attacks the middle of the field, who's living on go balls, you know, slants to me translate very well. I mean, I know everyone gives Michael Thomas a hard time, but you make a heck of a living catching a lot of the you know, hundred slants a year. You right. know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. Some, and, yeah. And I think that's where it's telling with some of these prospects is, is not so much, um, how few routes they run, but but which receivers were running different routes? Because there's only a couple guys that that stick out with a couple of different routes on the route tree. So I want to get to that next, and then yeah, we'll yeah. talk money ball approach to drafting coming up. I've been telling you guys about Built Bar for a long time now. They've been great friends with the whole Locked On Network, and really with my family, to be honest with you. We've been getting Built Bars for quite a while, and they don't last long around here. I mean, they. Uh, I've told you guys before, my wife's kind of a. Uh, a chocolate snob and she doesn't like a lot of the bars because of the, the waxy chocolate feeling but um built bars aren't like that at all and, and if you haven't tried the puffs you're missing out on one of the best built bars in terms of taste for sure they're great uh puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow they're fluffy they're marshmallowy they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they, they too, of course, are covered in 100% real chocolate. Replace your candy bars with these. I mean, they're just better. I mean, a typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most built Bars contain 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. I mean, so high protein, low cal, high fiber, low carb. Again, I mean, they blow candy bars out of the water. Tons of great flavors. So here's what you got to do. Go to built.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off your next order. So use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So essentially, go routes. Almost every receiver in this class runs 20-25% go routes, except mm-hmm. for or of the top receivers in this class. And I'm talking about, and these are the list from PFF. Jameson Williams, George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore, Drake London, Jahan Dotson, Chris Olave, Alec Pierce, Justin Ross, and Jalen Tolbert. Those are the names they put out there. That must be the, the order that PFF has them graded in the draft. I don't know why they, they chose those guys. And I think maybe someone like Christian Watson, they might not have had all this charted as much for the FCS schools as the FBS guys. Oh, maybe that's true. But I mean, they're basically the top guys, though. So as far as go routes go, the only ones on this list that are below 19 20% is Chris Olave, Jameson Williams, and Sky Moore. Okay. And the Williamson I, stands out to me because he's the fastest of all these. He's the fastest. The best yeah, you'd right. think he would have the most go routes, but he actually ran the most hitches. But that's kind of the same, you know, that's the vertical route, but that's the play off of the go. So you're you're right. playing that's off because right. he's so fast. Yeah. So they're running a bunch of hitches to try to get you to come back up because you're not because you're respecting the speed so much. So that's pretty interesting. And then, you know, screens is the next highest for almost all of these guys. Um, the outlier here is George Pickens. Far and away, the highest percentage on two routes and just blows everybody out of the water with how many go routes he ran. Goes and hitches, that was it. 10% more than even the highest of most of these guys. 34% of his routes were goes. Another 33% hitches. 67% of his route tree was two routes. Go that routes would worry me a little on Pickens. I right. love Pickens, but you know, I want to see 
inbreakers. I want to see outs. I want to see standard NFL routes in more, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, in again, context matters on this stuff is, is next year's Ohio state receiver going to be a really diverse one too. I mean, is that just the offense they run? Um, and I have all the respect in the world for coaches, but if whatever, um, I'll pick an idiot. John Dotson is the best in route runner on this class and they don't ask him to run ins. Well, that's a coaching malpractice too, you know? I mean, <laughs> right. So you have to marry the tape with these numbers in both instances. Same with the pass rushers to me is why, you know, is they, are they just bad at it? You know, like I'd have been really interested to see DK Metcalf. I bet his were all goes and hitches. Yes, absolutely. Goes hitches and, you know, a couple screens, a couple sl- DK was yeah, really good yeah. at slants, which stood out he to was, me because he, he was still big is, yeah. and he could body you up. And that was one of the impressive things where it was like, ah, he, he can, you know, he, he might not have a great three cone, but he can get open laterally with size and stick his foot in the ground and burst out of it. So that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I really liked about DK coming out. And I think George Pickens could do that as well. He's, you know, was hardly asked to do anything else. Another guy that stands out to me, because I think a lot of people look at Traylon Burks as a gimmicky Chenault, everyone wants him to be Debo, people don't like him, call him Chenault, that he's just um, not a standard route runner. Well, he's pretty diverse here. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, he's in the green on screens, which makes a ton of sense. I love that he's a high percentage out out route runner and slant route runner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, corners. Uh, stuff out of the backfield, which he should lead this group, and of. a ton out of the backfield, like by far, yeah, like like lapping right. the field multiple times with how often he was used out of the backfield. Yeah, I, I'm liking him more and more. I, I I'm mad at myself because I got a little down on Burks after his combine forty time and all that stuff, but I should know better. He plays fast. He's big. He's strong. Like I think there's a case that Burks might be a better player than Alave or some of these other guys that people are assuming get drafted ahead of him. I think the big standout on the opposite side of the George Pickens thing is Sky Moore. He had the lowest percentage of go routes on this list, but he had the highest percentage of slants at 20%. He had among the highest in uh, outs. Uh, He had the most diverse route tree. Uh, A lot of these guys ran, you know, zero or 1% with a lot of these routes. He had 5% comebacks, 3% corners, 4% posts, 2% crosser. Uh, 11% out, 4% jet, 2% in, uh, 20% slant, as I said, 9% screen, 2% wheel. He, he just ran more routes than a lot of the other guys. And, you know, some of this is you are allowed to, but I, I think Olave, Dotson, Skymore, Garrett Wilson, the most diverse route trees in this class. And I think that bodes well for route running in the NFL. And you see it on tape with with all these guys, and Sky Moore really good after the catch as well, which is why uh, more routes maybe closer to the line of scrimmage, more pro-style routes, try to get some breakout slants here so we can catch and run and do some of those things. So go check out some of those stats at, uh, at PFF and Austin Gill at PFF underscore Austin Gill. Just, you know, some fun th- stuff. And you when you look at raw data, you can try to figure out your own angle, and maybe you can find where, and this is what teams are trying to do. This is what analytics is all about. Right, right. Like, the data is there. How who makes the best of that data? Mm-hmm. So now we've talked edge rushers, we've talked wide receivers. This is a question from a couple weeks ago because you brought up a Move the Sticks podcast and an interesting conversation there. And uh, our listener at Deep for Foreboding on Twitter said, "I've been listening to more Move the Sticks podcast after Matt mentioned it, and it's raised a few questions. They mentioned Moneyball in the first round. Look at average dollars per year by position, and from that only draft quarterback, wide receiver, edge, and offensive tackle." early 
And a lot, and we're going to see a lot of that. Those are the positions that are going to go in the first round this year, and teams are kind of on that. Can you go too far with that is my question, Matt. Like, should you only be like, look, these are the positions that are getting paid 20-plus million dollars per year. That's all I'm going to look at in the first round because I need that value. And so the money ball idea is like you go overboard with it, right? You, you, you take it to the extreme, and it's like if you don't play those positions that cost $20 million per year, I'm not interested in you with a first-round pick. I'm glad this whoever sent this tweet. Thank you. There was one thing you missed though. They also included corner. It was quarterback, tackle, wide out, which I think you could argue wide out if it belongs. But the the new um, structure of the, what these guys are making at that position, wide out is now included. Pass rushers and corners. And first of all, keep keep listening to move the sticks. They do a great job. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Daniel Jeremiah got hired with the Browns the day I got fired. So they brought in DJ basically to do my job or one of the scouting jobs. He may even had my office. The, yeah. The day after ba- I <laughs> Daniel up. Jeremiah basically took Matt's office. Is, is, <laughs> Give is or what take. I hear yeah. That. Yeah. So that's that in common with him. And I think he does great work as is Bucky. Um, I think there, you can't, I would never say that's our rule. But I think it should be an extremely strong guideline. I mean, you have to have a real outlier to go outside that. And in my old age here, as I'm nearing 50 years old, I'm paying more and more attention to the economics of team building. And I've really paid more attention to it this offseason. And things like comp picks as well. You guys have heard me talk comp pick game over and over. You know, that I think that there's some loopholes in team building in this sport. And like the Moneyball movie, if you would grab a bean counter or some brilliant mathematician slash economic person that knows nothing about football and doesn't know if a football is blown up or stuffed or knows what a first down is, and you said these are what everybody's making at each respective positions, how should we draft them? I'm sure they would agree with this, that they would say, and here's kind of the logic behind it is, Look at it through this lens. Like, what does it cost me on the open market to find an average starter, an average starter at any position on the field and weigh that versus where their slot is in the first round, which is not a contract negotiation, folks. The 21st player makes a smidge less than the 20th player. You know, like, there's no more negotiations with first round picks or holdouts, you know what you're going to make. So Steelers, of course he picks the Steelers. They pick 20. They know what that first round contract is going to be. Well, if I weigh that against what an average starter makes in the league at that position, where are the gaps? And the gaps are at those expensive positions. You know, everyone talks about having a cheap quarterback, a Russell Wilson on a rookie deal. Well, why do you think the Chargers are out there and the Bengals are out there buying guys left and right? Because they're good teams with great young quarterbacks. So you go buy a new offensive line in Cincinnati. You go get, um, you know, great players in Khalil Mack and people like that around the Chargers because they have a contract, a rookie contract quarterback. But it doesn't have to just apply to quarterbacks. I mean, if I can have a, a corner on a rookie deal who's an average starter, let alone above average, I'm winning in a big way. And quarterback almost shouldn't be included because it's an entirely different beast on its own because having a cheap quarterback is great if he's good, but having a bad, cheap quarterback is a lot worse than having a good, expensive quarterback. So with any of this, it's still 
behooves you to draft good players. Draft good players. Don't draft bad players because they play a position and, and you're not really making yourself better just because other players, their position, are expensive. By the way, the, the listener, Deep Foreboding, goes on to ask if it was an extension of, of my no first-round running back philosophy. And it actually is. And I would almost it's, say yeah, that's the most it's, my rule is more hard on which positions you should not be drafting early rather than you have to take X positions, but essentially you mm-hmm. end up with fewer positions that you would be willing to take. So it's, it's kind of more the same. If I was a money ball, because I think money ball gets misconstrued sometimes with the idea of it is in where the Oakland A's were. They were trying to find where the where other teams weren't looking. They were trying to zig when other teams mm. were zagging. I could argue the exact opposite of what's going on here in this conversation, Matt. And bear with me for one second. We don't have a lot of yeah. time, but... I take the Debo Samuel holdout or whatever's going on with him, asking to be traded. Debo Samuel, the, the value of those expensive positions is you get them on their rookie contract, right? And you get high-end production for cheaper. If all your like, where is the value in the rookie deal coming from is if you only get, now it's instead of a four-year contract, well, now he wants to get paid after three years, right? Which most guys do who pay well, and most teams want to pay that player after three years. So now you have three years of it. Well, the first year is a rookie year. You're not going to get a ton of production. So now you're down to two years. Debo Samuel banged up in year two. You got one year of rookie contract production from Debo Samuel, and now you got to pay him. So are you even getting Uh that rookie contract value a lot of times from some of these guys? And if you're chasing positions and only drafting those positions and drafting the fifth, sixth best player at this position, and you're only getting maybe one or two years of rookie contract production from these guys, why not take the best player at a position group that you know you can re-sign, like, say, safety? I'm talking about maybe an end-of-the-first-round sort of a draft pick scenario here. Mm -hmm. Why not draft the safety who's the best player at his position and is going to be a stud for you and you can afford to re-sign for the next 10 years? And since you've got to pay that defensive end, that offensive tackle, that that corner, that wide receiver anyway, why not just go find a guy, take the guesswork out at those important positions and pay him since you know you're going to have to pay your own guy top of the market money eventually anyway, why not just go pay it? And I think we're seeing some teams doing that and not even worried about their first round picks, not even worried about you know getting cheap production from those positions. They're just like, well, we're going to have to pay our guy if he's good as a first rounder anyway. Let's go pay those players on the open market. So I could argue that the zag right now or the zig to the the league's zag is to actually just pay him because you know you have to pay him and the salary cap has gone up and you take the guesswork out. Go pay the best players you can at the most impactful positions and allot that for your salary cap and then go draft best player available and maybe get some steals and now you have a better uh, a better guard and a better safety because of it. You know, I'm not going to say running backs should be in that group, but mm-hmm. maybe that's the way to look at this thing. Maybe that's the best way in the current NFL to build a team knowing that you're going to have to pay the ends and the tackles and the wide receivers and the corners anyway. And look, it, it's a tiebreaker. If one of those guys is on the board and he's good, you absolutely draft him. So I wouldn't say avoid those either, but maybe there's another way to get value in this league because the league is so much skewed toward what would they, what they thought is the money ball approach, but that makes it not the money ball approach anymore. And of course, that's where the first round picks and the fifth year option help you out because even though it's expensive in the fifth year, it's less than what top of the market money would be. And you get another year of that value if the player is good. But like we've seen with Darnold and Baker Mayfield, picking up that fifth year option and then things fall apart on you, uh, that hurts you more than it helps you. So you got to be smart about when to use that fifth year option as well. And I think fewer of those options are being picked up now because they're guaranteed and they used to not be. 
couple other things to add to that. That's, that's good stuff. And that was actually some of my logic with the Steelers taking Najee Harris is he's a late first. And I'm more in the component of don't take a, a running back. But you're going to get Najee cheap for four years. You pick up the fifth-year option. You franchise him. And then he's done. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. off you go. You know, you're lucky if you get six years out of a running back. You're picking 10. You love Kyle Hamilton. He has the highest grade on your board. And you say, we want to get this player. He's our favorite prospect that's left. But then your salary cap guy comes in and says, yeah, that's lovely. But here's five names that are still on the open market or will be next year, uh, still Mm -hmm. on the open market, which is crazy, that I can give you for three to $4 million a year that are average NFL safeties that are 28 years old. Like, I'll take an average starting safety for $4 million and then use that pick on an edge rusher where an average starter is $15 million. I'll use this our last example to wrap it up, and I've used it many times, so I'm sure you guys have heard this, but I'm sorry. It's, it's on my mind. Like, the Titans, if they take Pickett or Ritter in the first round, late first rounder in a year, Tannehill's your starter this year, the rookie learns, and then all of a sudden – you go from Tannehill, who's a good player, but not a special one, to a picket or a Ritter, who might be as good a year from now or close to it or give you the same type of thing for 30 million different, you know, for 30 million less. And you're like 12 years younger at the position. Like that has immense value. That does and the have, production might be the same. That does have a ton of value. And by the way, that's a great segue. I want to remind everybody to check out the Ultimate Mock Draft and what happens with the Tennessee Titans. And uh, the, that pick has been made now. So go oh, check yeah, yeah. the Ultimate Mock Draft hosted by Matt and I. Make sure you're tuning in to all of the NFL draft coverage here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Matt and I back Monday. Peacock and Williamson.